Hello friends, welcome to another episode of The Psycho Freakin' Friends. What are we going to be talking about today? Well, we might just talk about Psycho Freak Political Science 101. We might just talk about it. Actually, we're going to talk about it because it's pretty simple. Think of the homie sapiens. Anyways, that's just a little uh, fun thing that I wrote down. When you're thinking about political ideas and carrying them to their logical conclusions, it's easy to get lost in the abstractions. But you know what you can get lost in pretty easily? That's going to be a legit way of thinking how to carry your plans through. Think of your friends and how your actions are going to be received by them. I mean, if you're thinking about vaccinating some folks, for instance, what's the homie Jason going to think about that? And if you want to advocate policy for something like that, what does that mean to your homie Jason? And with that, here we go. Another episode of The Psycho Freaking Friends, episode something. We'll see what we end up calling this one. I should probably call it Be Great, Be You, Be a Pro, because you are the path. I'm not going to tell you what your path is. I might try and direct you down paths because, you know, I have goals and dreams and desires that require other people. And I just want people to voluntarily engage in those ideas and become a part of my path because they choose to do so. I mean, hopefully they want to do so so much that they got to pay me for it, right? Because I don't want people to just jump on board. And if they're not going to jump on board, I don't want force people to do the things I want to have carried out. I want my ideas to be so good that people are like, yo, Jason, that idea is pretty legit. Let's throw some paper your way. And that's already getting into one of the big divides in the world. Money and people. And I've been facing this guilt that is probably not the guilt that other people want me to feel right now. And that's okay. Human beings like to pain together. I think that is just part of the human condition. What happened when I felt the most pain in my life? I went to where all my homies were, the skate park. I'm still going to say that the most painful instant in my life was losing my father. It was, you know, something that I didn't know how to deal with. And it was my first time having to deal with something like that. And I didn't pain, you know, the way that other people around me were painting. The family... Linda, Cody, they painted together. And, well, I guess I'm assuming they probably painted together because I wasn't there. I need to deal with pain in my way when that happened. And what would have happened had, you know, I'd been, I want to say forced, but what if I didn't deal with pain in my way? You know, would I have been able to move on? past my father's death the way that I did and like set my sights on something greater than what I had planned for my life. You know, when I was 16, I didn't really know what I was going to do. But after my dad's death, I was just like, hey, 
it's time to get going. I need to do something. So I enrolled in post-secondary. I wanted to get out of high school and get going with life as soon as I could. But, you know, I was on that public education, must get an education, must continue on, must support the ideas that other people want me to. Like my grandmother, she was always disappointed, you know, probably that I didn't go to college. I shouldn't say always, almost probably. There's people who want to place expectations on you. There's a lot of people that want to place expectations on you. People are going to want to put their expectations of how you should paint and how you should deal with it on you. And everyone deals with it differently. I show my pain. Sometimes I don't show my pain. Sometimes I want people to pain with me, which isn't a very effective tool the way I've been using it. I'll admit it, you know, I don't have a yellow social circle. I uh, I feel very alone most of the time just because I've been alone for a while. I've been processing things on my own in my own ways. And I know that I need to come to my own conclusions about my pain. And sometimes just speaking about it is, you know, what helps you find that band-aid. Not even the band-aid. It's not... It's something. It's something. But talking definitely eases pain. And there's a lot of people talking right now. A lot of people feeling pain. And I get it. I get it. And everyone's feeling the pain at different moments and different times and to different extents. To borrow from some economic, to borrow an economic term, not to borrow some economic terms, but to borrow an economic term, velocity. You know, some people are going to process their speed at a different velocity than others. Velocity is usually spoken to, or spoken, referred to as the speed of which money moves and I'm using that term very intentionally because the velocity of money is probably faster than it's ever been before a lot of stuff happening I'm surprised that the people that have been very vocal against Big money interests have not found their voices into my into my brain. I don't know. Maybe I have my uh, idea brain barrier, my idea helmet on a little too tight. That is one thing that I want to talk about with psychofreakism is how ideas get in your head and how you filter them through your head. And I really think that the blood brain barrier is a great way to kind of draw similarities because the blood brain barrier is what's protect the blood brain barrier is what protects your brain from harmful invaders that aren't supposed to get in there harmful invaders like cytokines and well those get in there anyways your brain's going to produce them but those are inflammatory compounds but say some bigger inflammatory compounds that aren't supposed to get up there i mean glucose glucose crosses the blood brain barrier Ketones pass the blood-brain barrier. There's a lot of other 
things that your body makes that do not pass the blood-brain barrier. And there's a lot of things that come into your body that will not pass the blood-brain barrier. Unless maybe it hits your head. Because something like a concussion can affect the permeability of your blood-brain barrier. And you know what? Emotional pain is going to let some stuff in there too. When we're talking about the idea brain barrier, dun dun dun. And as you're being raised and as these ideas are put into your head through growing up in a limited environment, you start to have these ideas become concrete. They are self enforcing. Is that the word I'm looking for? It's not, but it is the term that came to mind to replace the term that I was looking for. I'm just going to keep going. That was one of the original things that made me start thinking about psychofreakism the way that I started to think about it. How do ideas get in there? How come some ideas are just brushed off? What, you know, what's the complexity of different ideas? How do they piece together like a puzzle? And how do some pieces, you know, not fit together? How do some fit together? How are some, like, more universal than others? How are some very exclusionary? And I just look at it uh, the same way I kind of look at receptor cells for your body. So let's talk about a compound. We will take MSH melanocyte signaling hormone produced by your hypothalamus. All right, so your hypothalamus is the control center of your brain. MSH is one of those hormones that's a very important signaling. Well, hormones are signal molecules, signaling molecules, just like electricity, because, you know, you also operate, you're an electric being, you operate as an electric being. Electrolytes. That's what that means. If your body doesn't have electrolytes, you're not going to be able to have your body send those electric signals. That's why electrolytes are so important. The lack of electrolytes circulating your body will make it so certain processes don't work optimally or at all. So with that being said, and with me having lost what I was originally trying to think of, MSH can operate the way it's supposed to it can be deficient and you know there's a lot of different things there's a lot of different factors involved so in order to produce something you need to have the compounds to produce it those compounds need to be absorbed by the cells in your hypothalamus and then once in there they need to be converted so you have the production exchange and consumption processes of the receptor and then once that happens, that receptor will start the production, exchange, and consumption process again in another area of the body. And since it's your hypothalamus, a good next stopping point in the production, exchange, consumption path is probably going to be your pituitary gland. Because the HPA axis or the HPTA axis goes hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid, adrenal. And the reason that I'm kind of speaking about these things also is because they help regulate your peripheral and central nervous system. Anyways, 
I'm a dummy. Don't listen to what I say. JK. Listen selectively. Put things together on your own. Integrate these ideas with your own. That's what I do. I take information from lots of different sources and I try to integrate it into my own language because we all speak our own language. I'm just trying to take terms from lots of different areas, which is a little confusing, I think, to a lot of people. Why is he talking like that? Why does Jason talk like that? Because I'm forming my own language to deal with complex ideas that require complex ways of thinking and complex systems, and I've taken language from these complex systems. And I don't want to toot my own, own horn too much, but you gotta. I should be able to take some enjoyment in knowing that I've put in so much work into gathering so many ideas to try and put together a very broad perspective of the world and not just have my general thoughts and ideas of the world enter my brain, pass through my idea brain barrier without me sorting through the stuff. This is what happens when you're sitting here talking by yourself. You just lose track of things. My way of speaking out a reflection of the language I see? Do I mirror the strength of tone? Is that a problem with my communication? I've known that I've had a problem with my communicating skills for quite a long time. I've talked about it on this podcast a lot. This podcast, as I've said, is a tool for me to work on my speaking. And now is the time. Now is the time when you gotta speak. I have this written down. We're gonna say it. I may have said it before. I can't remember. We who can speak must speak while we have the gift. We must love while we still live. And we must act while we still have strength. And with all the protests going on and the George Floyd death, there's a lot of people that are acting because they feel like they're empowered and have strength right now. And I have struggled with how to deal with that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you some writing I did last night. It's just a little poem, not even a poem. Just some words strung together that uh, might help bring some perspective to people who might think that I'm acting a little callous with my words or not being compassionate enough. Or like I said, people want you to feel with them. And a lot of people probably don't think that I'm feeling with them because I am doing what a lot of people do is I am... I'm starting to kind of prescribe things based on my analysis already, and I have analyzed this stuff, and you have to meet people with where they're at. A lot of folks may be seeing this video, and it might be the first time that they've seen someone die, especially like that. And growing up, being flooded with violence, seeing violence on all the TV and movies, seen that don't like it. I try and really, really, really protect my brain and the negative things that go into it now. I really try and have my uh, helmet on and protect 
the ideas that get into my head. And negativity is one of those things I really try and shield myself from because I do know how deeply it can take a hold in my head. And I know how hard it is for me to kick it. And for someone to not be understanding of feeling their pain, I think that's where it kind of comes from. You know, sometimes people don't want to pain anymore. We've pained too much. And it's just like, I can't do it right now. I can't. I can't watch another a cop death. Or out. not a cop death. A law enforcement death. I want to make sure that I start using that as my term. Law enforcement is different than policing, uh, in my opinion. Because I will also police things. I try and police the skate park. I've broken up fights before. I've interjected myself into situations to try and keep them from escalating. I remember back when I was at least, it was probably 15, maybe 14. I was down at the skate park. One of my friends was getting ready to hit the jump box. And he was going and he had a young child get in his way. So he told them to move or something, and I watched the whole scene unravel. And this was another person that was 15, 14. Heck, maybe we were only 13. And this young child was down there with their older brother. And the older brother did not... By the way, these were people that were not part of the skate community, to my knowledge. I've never seen them again. I had never seen them down there before. I believe the person was just down there trying to sell drugs. From what I recollect. That's that. So, anyways, my friend, you know, yells at the kid to watch out as he's going to hit the jump box. And this older brother did not take that advice well and started to get very confrontational with my friend up in his face and everything. So, I walked over and I was like, hey, you know, trying to de-escalate things and then his energy turned completely on me and things were escalating and it sucks because there were so many people at the skate park that day I had friends down there and they just sat and watched as this person got my face and no one came to get my back um what ended up happening was the guy ended up pushing me and I tripped over his bike or a bike and I ended up getting uh, a bike pedal. It wasn't a normal bike pedal. It was like one of those bear claw ones that really make your feet stay next to the pedals. I got a pedal like into my back and that was that. Like it hurt a ton. I was on the ground like already. I didn't get attacked anymore after that. You know, I think my friend finally kind of got my back after that when I was hurt and the guy ended up leaving the skate park. But I was still kind of amazed afterwards that, you know, some of the people that were there did not step in and try and de-escalate the situation with me. And it's not, That was my first situation, trying to de-escalate things at the skate park. But there's a lot of things that happen down there, and we kind of have to police the skate park on our own because when seconds matter, the police are minutes away. And then they become law enforcement. And 
we see what happens with law enforcement. I've broken up a fight at the Woodbury Park before by myself. Don't know how many people were involved in this fight, but there was a circle of people, and I was the only person that was like, hey, this is not the place. You need to get out of here. And I was very happy. There's a skateboarder in the community who I used to skate with in Woodbury quite often. And this was our first interaction I can recall was he came up to me afterwards and he's like, damn, way to go. That was awesome. Man, that's, that's policing. You know, you don't want to escalate a situation. You want, you want to dissolve it. And the aggressiveness put it at ease. But, uh, you know, it's a tough job. I totally understand that. I totally understand that. And my problems with law enforcement come from the fact that uh, they enforce laws written by politicians and they're funded through taxation, which the Libertarian Party has agreed pretty unanimously that taxation is theft. It's so funny from the convention this weekend, uh, or two weekends ago, Memorial Day weekend, that every once in a while someone would get their voice heard and they'd be like, what is taxation? And then the chair's like, the Libertarian Party has defined taxation as theft, or whatever he said. You can watch the video if you want. But that was just one of the very funny things. And that's where my, my issues come, is the funding, because I don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. It's just whatever geographic region you are in, you are given... You are not given... You are, let's see here, what word should we use? You are privileged to have the services of people that you have no choice in selecting. I would like to sign up for my own protection services, personally, and I realize that I am the front lines. I am the front lines for my defense, anywhere, anytime. And I'm going to get into something else right now about psychology of someone who is an anarchist. Because I always assume that I'm breaking the law because there are so many laws. What does that do to my psychology? I am a criminal by almost any definition that the state would offer. You could find so many reasons, so many laws that people break all the time, and it's pretty arbitrary what laws get enforced and which ones don't. I mean, there's the ones that you know you're going to get busted for. If you're going 15 over the speed limit, you're probably going to get some law enforcement. If you roll a stop sign, traffic violations are the worst, and that's because the initial stops usually are fishing for something else. I don't know. I'm not in law enforcement. I think you should know that. Yeah. I don't know all the process. I am not privileged or... <laughs> um. 
Yeah, we'll say that's privileged information or confidential. Or, no, it's privileged. I'm talking about the privileged class. We're talking about different classes now. The law enforcement will operate as the state class. And the libertarian class analysis is there are state actors, and then there's everybody else. And the state is funded through theft, through taxation, and theft through inflation and the printing press. And that's really what it all comes down to me every time. Whenever I go through a political situation and I try and come up with an answer, might have lots of good ideas, and then I'm just like, wait a second. And it always comes back down to the money. Like, I always go through this process, and there's a lot of times where I'm like, you know what, this might be the one. This might be the one. Nope. Money's involved at some point. And it's just like, fuck! Fuck! The dollar. That damn dollar. The Federal Reserve. That private head of the banking cartel that gets to set the interest rates and reserve requirements and is tasked with unemployment numbers or managing employment and it's just insane to me that more people don't know or just don't care and I need to work on my messaging need to work on my messaging you know part of my message is uh natural money like gold silver and I have some coppers in front of me right now are superior to the dollar and I've tried many times to show aspects of the dollar I don't like and it just doesn't take with a lot of folks because people think that I care more about money than people and it's not true I care about people I want people to people I want to use money because if you don't use money as the medium of exchange things become political. and politics, the medium of exchange is human beings in the form of votes. That's what politics ends up being. Political actions don't necessarily have to end or result in aggression. People can come together and not carry out political means to attain what would be seen as political goals with the way that I view capitalism and money you have to take into time preference take into consideration time preference and the issue with politics is that those votes those those tokens there's no time preference the timing of everything is just not there. With political action like a protest, you do not have your voice. You do not have your vote. Someone else has it. It's been delegated to a politician. And that's why people want their voices heard because they've delegated rights to a politician and they want 
their voice back. They want it heard. They want their actions and their idea. They want their actions to fulfill their goals and their ideas that I say you could accomplish without politics. And using money instead of votes and human beings as the medium of exchange is pretty damn beautiful to me. Money is a very, very beautiful thing because it is the absence of violence. If you want something and you have to have it, you can either pay for it or you can take it. That's what it comes down to. Someone has something that they have, you want it. If you're not making an exchange, if you're not consenting to something, how are you going to get that? And if the consent from the other person is, hey, I want something you have for an exchange, then that is an economic exchange, one thing for another. It becomes a political exchange when someone comes away not feeling whole. In economics exchanges, each party exchanges something they value for something someone else values. Or excuse me, you're exchanging something that someone else values from you for something that you value from them. That is an economic exchange. And it would not occur unless both parties saw mutual benefit in the exchange. The political exchange happens when both people... Well, I shouldn't say both people because it's usually multiple parties, but when a party does not see mutual benefit in the exchange, when it is forced upon them, when they do not have a choice, when that choice for freedom of exchange is taken away, free markets equal free people, the dollar equals shackles. The dollar is built on credit, inflation, built on debt. But, you know, progress is made through spending. Progress is made through spending. That's the uh, the Keynesian model, which I don't want to get into right now because I haven't been reading my politics. I can't get into depth. I don't want to really speak on that matter at the moment. So we're not going to. And I'm not talking about any of the things I want to talk about. Holy shit. But, you know, we know how uh, the psycho freak can be sometimes. Gets a little, little, uh, what do I call it? We get a little off track once in a while. Yeah. Tying it all back. I haven't watched the George Floyd video yet. Just have not done it. I've seen a lot of about violence and you know what I don't need to watch another video people want me to feel I've already felt and I do not want my judgment clouded by those emotions moving forward I feel like I need to start bringing myself together in order to make clear decisions and emotions blur me from making clear decisions which is the case for a lot of people. What happened during that confrontation may have been racism. I don't know. 
But we're going to get to the bottom of that. What is racism? I think that it's acceptable. Racism is acceptable. I see race. I'm sorry. I see it. I know that person's different than me. I know that person's different than me. I see a lot of other things other than race, too. I see gates. I see how people move. I see when they have dysfunctions in their movement. I, I listen. I listen to how people speak. You know, I'm an observer. I observe things. I see race. My actions, are they based on race? Maybe. Maybe not. Every person should be free to make the choices that they want to. Because if you start interjecting yourself into those decisions, then you are becoming an oppressor. I shouldn't say interject. Uh, well, yeah. It's all about the individual to me. Individual rights are the foundation of any rights. Individuals are the smallest minority. I, you, that person over there, that person over there, doesn't matter what the identity is, it is a fact that they are an individual. And to see someone as something other than a autonomous individual is to subject them to your definition of who they are. You are subjecting them to an identity that they might not agree with, because I guarantee you that I do not agree with the identities that people see me as. I wear multiple identities. We all do. We, the collective, speak. Hey, you listening, do you have kids? Oh, you probably wear a parent as part of your identity. Your family? That's probably part of your identity. Your nationality? That's probably part of your identity. Where you grew up? That's probably part of your identity. Your favorite thing? That's probably part of your identity. What you had for breakfast? That might be part of your identity. I'm an avocado lover. Avocado lovers unite. Yeah. I'm an avocado lover. See, we all wear multiple identities. And the thing is, with me, I try and kind of, you know, sort through my identities. Who am I? And I just know I'm Jason. I am Jason. And I go hard sometimes. A lot of people don't like it. Some people love it, though, and I hope I hope you're one of the lovers and not a hater. That's one of the really crazy things about doing this podcast and putting it out there and telling people about it. I do not know what people have heard me say. And the psychology of that is crazy as well. Because if I go someplace and someone that might have listened to my podcast is acting to- a little different towards me, it's like, I wonder how I ruffled their feathers. And I just really don't know. It's just, I don't know who listens to the podcast. Like I said, 
I don't look to see if I have numbers. I don't expect many people to listen because this has not really been, you know, a podcast. It's more of just a audio diary of what's going on in my life right now, you know. It's podcast form, but there's no schedule. I don't do a lot of the things that other podcasts do. I always want this to be, you know, an outlet for me. And similar to what everyone else is doing right now, I want my voice heard. And free speech, any speech, is something I support, even unpopular speech. Because if you don't allow for unpopular speech, there's no debate. Debate's over. And if the debate's over, then it's just everything's all good. Everything's all fucking dandy. Okay, let's see. I have lots of stuff written down. I still haven't gotten to the thing that I uh, wanted to talk about, so we're gonna we're gonna say this. My words are inked with darkness. They are written with a knowledge of death and destruction. Carry both light and darkness with me. People always prefer the light words, the dark words when confronted, but sometimes the darkness sins. So we'll see. Poem could be. Lyrics could be. I just wrote that with someone in mind who might be able to relate to some of the ways I feel right now because I definitely have some guilt right now. Again, it's not white guilt. I don't have white guilt. I had I read a post where someone was talking about how they thought they should be feeling white guilt right now. And when I'm asked to identify this stuff, I don't I don't want to identify myself as white. I mean me, I don't like identifying by skin color. Sorry. That's why I have trouble with getting behind these movements. It's identity politics, and I do not like identity politics. It creates this polylogism, multiple logics, and multiple logic does not make the world clear. It does not clear a path for people. That's that's a whole thing right there. That's That's multiple podcasts talking about multiple logics. But it is something that is very present in the political realm. And I understand it. But people tell me I don't understand it. Yeah. One of my first influences was a polylogist. You know, it's crazy. And I'm trying to think of a good example of the way I do it. Because I do have multiple logics. I also am a potential abuser of this. But I don't necessarily apply all the logic. You know, I have a logic for me. And then I have a logic for the things that happen outside of me. So I use my inner logic to help explain the outer logic, to connect myself with that. And 
Back to pain. I deal with pain a lot. I, uh, I wrote something down about pain. Pain, pain, pain. Everyone wants you to feel their pain. Feel the pain. Come up with a plan. Plan starts to slip. Bring up the pain again to stay on the path. I've done it. It sucks. I don't like bringing my pain into other people's lives, and I feel so much guilt over that. But not the amount of guilt that I have for being a citizen of the United States and a user of the dollar in the dollar system. I am 100% in the dollar system right now, and I have... I'm so conflicted. I mean, when the stimulus check was put into my account, just no debate, no nothing, I was like, this is it. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And that was back in March. No, April, excuse me. Back in April. Because it was the week... See, it must have been like the 12th or the 13th, maybe the 14th that it happened. Let's see, I think it was the 13th, the 13th of April, 2020. I had $1,200 put into my account because of the stimulus check. And right then and there, I was like, wow, because with all that new money creation, didn't have a choice, didn't have a say in the matter, and I view it as disempowering regular folks. And if the money isn't used quick, and if it isn't taken, gets used by someone else, the dollar is a zero-sum game where people will profit on other people's losses, unlike what I would say capitalism under its own currency under a free currency behave i call i call what's going on in the united states capitalism that's my favorite term it's not the greatest term but i think it does a pretty good job of explaining it capitalism it's also fascism i will 100% call this a fascist system but i don't get on board with people who are saying this is a fascist system because donald trump's in the white house I get in on the fascist train because 1913, Federal Reserve was created. That just was a coming together of the great money interests of the time with the political underhanded moves of politicians of the day. I mean, the bill was ran through an empty Congress. They met on Jekyll Island and everything was passed on like the Christmas recess for Congress or when people are away for Christmas. So I think it was December... I looked this up the other day. December something. But that's when everything was passed and, you know, ever since had this great Federal Reserve system that just keeps devaluing the dollar and just keeps funding all of this violence. The systemic violence is not because of racism. I say it's because of the dollar. The dollar is what causes all the violence. It's what funds it. 
So it drives it. And money, money, money. Got to control the money. If you control money, you control people. And, you know, governments are good at controlling people too. Especially right now when people are like, hey, let's take the guns away from people and give all the guns to the state's enforcement agents, the law enforcement officers, the militaries. Let's do that. And it scares the shit out of me. It scares the shit out of me. I want people to be able to protect themselves. I want people to be able to delegate who they want to protect them. If you have the right to be protected, you should also have the right to choose who protects you. Okay, I think I got that out. What else can we talk about? Yeah, I kind of talked about the votes as human beings dilemma. Uh, when you're looking at votes as the way to accomplish your goals, you are substituting numbers for human beings. It's the same thing that statistics do. You're looking at numbers instead of human beings and you lose part of the human element. You lose part of the human element when you do not come into contact with people, when you are forced to stay home, when you are a prisoner. Thinking about what happens when you're in prison, they put you into a place and the worst thing that they can do is throw you in the hole. Complete isolation. Human beings are social creatures and during the shutdowns, socialization was canceled. And I think that might have had a part to play in this murder, this death, this atrocity. Uh, again, I'm sorry, I didn't watch the video. I don't have all the feelings because I didn't want to get wrapped up in the feelings. I know this stuff happens. It's happened multiple times. It's going to keep happening until you, you know, got to gotta get to the very bottom of things. And I think it's the dollar. But, you know, all those 401ks people have, they probably won't want to make too much change because, yeah. But I was thinking, you know, what are ways to change, reform the system to uh, make it so folks aren't subjected to police brutality like they are. And... There's a interesting theory of justice by Rothbard, and I was actually surprised to hear it was from Rothbard. Rothbard and, uh, I think, was it Salerno? No, it's not Salerno. Might be Joseph Salerno. No, Walter Block. It was Walter Block. So, definition, their justice is it's not just, you know, you have a TV stolen and then... If it's returned to you, that's the that's justice. That's being made whole. And I want to talk about justice because justice is one of those words, like liberty, like anarchy, that is very ambiguous and gives people the power to decide what it is. It's very subjective. It's the double-edged sword of these words. They are fantastic, and then they can be used atrociously too. It's all the intent people put behind it. And that's the problem with words. Everyone's words mean something different to everybody. It's not a problem. It is a problem when you're trying to socialize and spread ideas. It's very important to have a common language to make sure that the ideas you want to communicate are received. They pass that 
idea brain barrier intact. Language can be all that. I shouldn't say all that. Language can be the factor that gets into that receptor for a certain idea and keeps things from getting in there. So part of your receptors and all of your cells is, you know, your receptor cells, they're, they're geared for certain things to go into them. And one of the assets I have in thinking about this with the body is I was a locksmith apprentice in high school. So I have this idea of keys fitting into locks and not only just fitting into locks, but the pin system, the tumblers, like I can, I can imagine all the different molecules. I don't have the chemistry in my head of how they actually look, but I have my system of being able to see how things go into things, how the locks open, how things get in, why locks do not open. It's, it's pretty fun. I'm glad that I have that experience to be able to help my, myself visualize these things. And with these cells, let's say folate, for example. Folate is vitamin B9. And your folate receptors need a certain form of folate. And some forms of folate will get into receptors and they will gum those receptors up. You know, when I was cleaning up locks, some of the locks and pins, they'd get a little gummed up. You'd have trouble turning that key. I'd have to repin it. And, you know, it's just from abuse and it's just time wearing down. And that's what happens to cells. And synthetic molecules, molecules that aren't the correct form, they can still get into these, these cell receptors and gum up how they work. So like with folate, if you're not getting the correct folate, like a lot of the folate that goes into normal foods, then that folate will gum up the receptor. You want the methylated version of folate. Is the methylated version, well, I mean, methylation's a huge, a huge thing when it comes to the body. Your ability to methylate property. <laughs> The ability to methylate your property of your body is very important for you to continue with the use and function of your property. No, to work properly. So methylation controls just a host of responses in the body. And if you're not able to methylate properly, then your body's not going to work very well. And the gene responsible for that is the MTH, MTHFR gene, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. And no, I don't have that written down anywhere, but I love to say it. it took me so long to memorize how to say all that stuff. And it comes down to language, being able to understand things. You got to know the language. And learning new languages is tough, even if they're in English. It's tough. There's big scientific words. You have to learn the prefixes. You want to learn the etymology of the words. There's just so much in the language of all these different sciences. And I'm happy that I can understand a lot of it now with my experience researching 
all these different things. And it gave me a pretty, uh, a pretty good understanding of SARS-CoV-2. Um, yeah, I wasn't worried about that for a long time. You know, at first I was kind of skeptical. It's like, uh, better play it safe. And then I started looking into what was actually going on in the body. And I was like, you know what? What's actually happening in the body isn't that big of a deal. It's just, you know, the virus in general. If it comes in contact with you and you're just in a bad spot, you're in a bad spot. But that is the case with life. Life is risky business. Like I uh, alluded to in my writing about darkness, I have darkness in my words because... I know death's always creeping. You never know when death's going to pop up. I have the stoic mindset. And with the stoic mindset, it's about remaining calm in the chaos. The world is always going to be chaos around you. And the stoic mindset is how do you bring peace to yourself within the chaos? And the stoic is able to move through the chaos. And not react, but to be actionable. There's that reaction, action, spectrum, or dichotomy. I think it would be a dichotomy, because the spectrum would still be a, a thing and a thing. The spectrum's a thing and a thing. Come on, folks, you know this. The spectrum is a thing and a thing and the in-between. But with COVID, I had some interesting thoughts. There's COVID toxicity, you know, the uh, speaking of the COVID, what's that doing for people's idea of brain barriers? It's getting through, uh, is the COVID being toxic to the mindset of lots and lots of people? I don't know. You have to ask those people. I had some COVID toxicity, that's for sure. But I wrote something interesting. COVID to the ACE2 receptor, which is what cell receptor this RNA virus acts on, which populates your lungs, it's in your liver, it's in a few places, but the main, it's mainly, your lungs are the place where it chooses to populate, or it doesn't choose where nature's like, hey, let's put the ACE2 receptor there in abundance. So COVID to ACE2. COVID is to the ACE2 receptor as words are to the psyche. Yeah, that was a fun one, I think. I liked it earlier. Okay, dun dun dun. Love thyself. Remember those who labeled you unessential. Same people who don't want you to understand your issues. They just want to give you easy answers. I like the tough answers. I like the search. I like finding the unknown. And is my ego. But that's what's so great about the ego. It makes you, it allows you 
to do things. It allows you to fill yourself up with belief. But you got to find the balance. Life is all about finding that balance, navigating everything. And I want to be the stoic who can navigate the chaos and still act. I don't want to react. I want to be actionable. I don't want to be a reactor. I don't want to get stuck in reactionary mode. I don't want to get stagnant in the reactionary feels and the reactionary things that I do. Even stuff such as sitting. I want to be actionable in my sitting. I want to be conscious of my posture. I want to be conscious of my muscle engagement as I move. I don't want to be dumb as I move through life. I want to be smart. And I want to be on my path. I want to follow my path. I do not like getting pushed off the path. Be unwavering. Be unwavering in the chaos. Be a light to those who do not feel as grounded as you may. Give them hope so they can be grounded. And one of the things I really like about anarchy is it's associated with chaos. That's not what I like about it because right now, just like always in history, people are blaming the anarchists. Who's the disruptor? Oh, it's those damn anarchists. And there are a lot of anarchists. There's different types and flavors. I am an anarcho-capitalist. I believe in private property. And that originates in the individual. So I believe in individuals. And I believe in free exchange. Do not believe that destruction brings prosperity. I do not believe that destruction brings wholeness. I'm not the kind of anarchist that the media and friends, not even friends, but folks, I'm not... I'm a proud anarchist. I do not believe in destruction. I do not believe in creating the chaotic environment that people associate with anarchism. And I want to point something out right now that was pointed out to me by the chair of the Minnesota Libertarian Party. Because I just... People have been making me feel bad that I'm speaking the way that I'm speaking and the way I've felt very bad about the way that some of my words could be perceived because I know how I speak. I know my rhetoric and I know people don't like it and I stick with it because I do want to highlight political rhetoric with my speech and be like, yeah. I've been doing it. I know I have, and I really dislike it. So I do things that I don't like to prove a point. And what's happening right now could not be described as anarchy because by definition, 
its complete state control. Martial law has been declared. That is full state control. So under full state control, I don't know why people would associate the chaos of that with anarchy. That is the complete opposite of what you are claiming. Absolute absence of the state is what anarchy is. And this is 100%, hey, we're fucking ready to do business government right now. Watch out. So to say that anarchy is chaos, no, martial law is chaos. And anarchy is great for chaos theory because it's kind of, you know, political theory is missing anarchist theory and it is not whole without the anarchist theory because anarchy is the absence of politics. Politics without anarchy is like numbers without a zero. Politics without anarchy in the philosophy is like number without a zero. Try doing math without a zero. Try it. Do it. One other thing you should do is your political ideas start small. You know, like I said at the beginning, think of the homo sapiens. And that's what I do with my politics. If I can't get, you know, the people around me to buy into these ideas, how, when I'm doing it, I'm thinking of, when I'm thinking of my ideas, I do think of my friends first. You know, you build out from you first. So I think people go about politics the wrong way. They go from the top down instead of the bottom up. Apply your politics to you first. If you cannot succeed with those politics, if you cannot succeed with the ideas of your politics, then your ideas probably won't be that successful in mass. Just saying. If your idea doesn't work with you and those closest to you, like your family, what are you going to have to do to get it to work amongst the masses? If your idea that you want carried out does not work with your circle of friends, it's probably not going to work. And this is what I like to say about socialism. You know, it's something that can work on a small scale, but I do not think that it is scalable. I do not think that it is scalable. And one of the reasons, aside from the absence of money in the equation, because that's what essentially happens, and it's uh, it's not money per se, but in, it's the profit the socialist calculation profit the socialist it's the socialist calculation problem 
not being able to determine the value of things. Scaling for time too, how does that carry out? Because under capitalism, it you scale things out. I mean, there's contracts for 10 years. You have your, your mortgage on your house. That's a 30-year contract you just signed up for. But when you're talking about resource allocation over a span that long and with a number of people that you can't comprehend, and if it's about exchanging resources based on needs, and needs are always changing, how can you make a 30-year plan? How can you make a 20-year plan? How can you make a five-year plan? Your resources are your people. So you have to start seeing people in place of money. And you have to start doing that for scales that just do not work. And you should not apply people to. You should not apply 100 million people to a political idea and then scale that idea out for whatever period of time. Again, try it in your own life. I definitely can't do it. One of the things about everything that's going on right now that really made me think was I did watch Killer Mike. I did watch his speech in Atlanta. And there's a few things in that speech that jumped out at me. The very first thing was his messaging. He is Killer Mike. He is speaking to a large audience of people. His shirt said, Kill the slave masters. No. His shirt said, his shirt said, kill your masters, I believe. Kill the masters. I think it said, kill the masters. And his messaging, he's standing in front of, you know, internet. He's in front of the internet. Millions are hearing his message. And part of his message is kill. Now, I understand his messaging. How many other people are going to understand his messaging right away in this emotional frenzy, in this emotional state, where they just want, you know, the quickest form of justice they can get? Some people, I guarantee, are out there itching for violence and blood and destruction. You've seen the destruction already. I learned the broken window fallacy years ago, and... Destroying is not productive. You destroy a whole city. Think of the resources. I shouldn't say a whole city. You destroy, you partially destroy a city. I'm generalizing with you. Then resources to rebuild that city are resources that aren't going 
to where they would have gone before. The classic example is someone throws a rock through the shoemaker's window. The shoemaker now must purchase a new window, and we're just going to throw 50 units. 50 units is the price of a new window. Our shoe, our, our shoe, uh, our shoe guy, what are those called? Our cobbler. Our cobbler now is spending 50 units that he wanted to spend on, let's say, a suit on a window. So now the window maker is going to profit. But what about the tailor? You're taking away from the tailor. It's the seen and the unseen. So with the messaging, I mean, what's the seen message and what's the unseen? I think Killer Mike's unseen message isn't kill the, uh, kill the, uh, I don't remember what it said. Kill your, kill your something. And that just shows you I'm so focused on the word kill. Uh, but I have the same thing with me. I have, I have death to the elite basically on me. You know, I have my tattoo with the most meaning. It's a Queen Elizabeth skull with a crown, with symbols in the crown. There's a poppy, there's the Rothschild seal, and there is the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's essentially the Illuminati eye. But what do those things stand for? War, money, and knowledge. You know, I want to overthrow the class. I don't want that class to exist anymore. I do not want the class that claims knowledge, that claims the power to money, and claims the power to war to exist anymore. I do not want it. And I wear it on my skin too. I can't take that off. I have inked it in me. So if anyone thinks that, you know, I'm not down for whatever causes. No, I'm down for causes and I'm going to the root. I'm going to the very root, I think. And I've been going at it for a while. I'm not out in the streets right now. I have so many thoughts regarding that. And I am protecting myself for various reasons that I have not gotten into yet. And I will not get into in this podcast. Self-preservation is important for some of the goals I'd like to carry out. And I don't know if going out and protesting right now is in my best interest for self-preservation. I would not be surprised at all if I was marked in some way. We are living in a war economy. I should say, we are living in a state of war. I did not start having all of my alarms go off until Donald Trump declared his war against the virus. There's a lot of political tricks going on right now. I've been trying to prepare myself for, you know, two years plus with all my readings to get ready for this political cycle because I do believe in my studies that humanity repeats cycles especially during 
political years, there's certain cycles, there's unrest. Bad economics leads to unrest. Bad money leads to unrest. There's going to be a lot of unrest all summer. This From now on, this is going to be rough. This is the, uh, from my analysis, the country's never been more vulnerable. There's going to be riots all summer, I'm guessing, and protests. And things are going to escalate, in my opinion. And I know that is a message of fear. And I don't like people to live in a place of fear. But I do like people to live in a place of fear, too. I mean, I like that. I like that adrenaline rush. Rock, paper, scissors. Who's going first? Who's getting after it? You know, being the first to do something. That fear. Fear is a great motivating factor. I, I mean, I think the thing with fear is it is a tool. Fear can be a tool. So many things in life can be a tool. Failure is a tool. So fear can be a great tool to accomplishing great things. But you have to know people's idea of brain barriers. The fear is going to do things to some people. Well, this is everyone. Every individual is going to react to fear differently. So that's why I am uneasy about saying things that cast a dark shadow or just cast a shadow over the way that people think. But I do think it's important to be prepared. And let's get back to Killer Mike. The thing that I loved about his message was... You need to network. You need to get your your peeps together. It's a time for action. So his call to action was, you know, hey, let's get our people together. Part of my chaos in my life was I had my action call back when all this started happening, when the threats of closures were happening. I was like, hey, I don't know how bad this is going to get. People need to plan. I want my peeps to plan. And I was not able to have a single person. I was not able to communicate. I just failed. My action call failed. Simple as that. And I thought I was going to be in action networks and I wasn't. And you know, I, part of the thing is a lot of people didn't think things were going to get crazy. I was trying to organize my action network back in March, I believe. Could have been as early as February, but I believe it was March. And I still haven't been able to get people to respond. It's still difficult to... It's still difficult to get people to come out and engage with me. And one of the things is, out here in Orinoco, I think it's a lot safer than all other places. You know, I want people to come here and start planning, you know, what's what's going to happen if things get bad. 
How are we going to provide for each other? The Agora. The Agora, the open marketplace. How are we going to function in the open marketplace? But Killer Mike, let's go back to Killer Mike, you know. People need to get together, come together, and come up with plans. There are people that have been doing planning. I have not read their books, but I am a little disappointed that I have not read some of the more revolutionary ideas of the times. People are fucking sick and tired of everything going on, but they are not committed to nonviolence for political and social goals like I am. And believe me, when I hear people are executed by the state, by agents of the state, I am fucking pissed. You have not been around to hear all the music I've been listening to, all of my fuck the system music that I've been listening to. I've been jamming out to my... Oh, let's see here. Well, I'll start off with The Living End. I've been jamming out to The Living End. They're not so... I mean, they, they talk about some social stuff and systems and institutions being off. I, they're rebellious, but no, the rages against the machine, the, uh, the backwards, the rebel inks, public enemy, anthrax. You know, I've been jamming out to bring the noise a bunch. I saw someone post, I think it was Steve Barra. Steve Barra posted uh, the Fight the Power music video and i've been jamming out to that chuck d is the man i don't know much about killer mike though <laughs> i know a little bit he was on joe rogan i think and i listened to that one but gotta act get gotta get those networks together for when things happen and one of the darker things that's going to come out of this podcast is I have expressed that I have a psychology of an anarchist, that I am always a law-breaking citizen. I do not consider myself a citizen, but that is a fact. And being a citizen is the privilege, quote, unquote, of being under the guardianship of the political leaders in whatever geographic area you are in. Citizens have privileges, human beings have rights. Citizens have privileges, human beings have rights. And that's something that Stephen Ritchie, one of the libertarian presidential hopefuls, had published in the LP news that I had read after the convention. I'm just going to touch on something slight real quick. Yeah, Justin Amash is the first libertarian in Congress now. He switched over from independent and he changed his party status to libertarian on May 1st. So now there is the first libertarian in Congress. 
And again, part of the one of the things that separates the Libertarian Party from other political parties is the pledge that every single member takes upon becoming a member that I will not use aggression to further social and political goals. I didn't have it word for word. I don't have it memorized. I will. You should know, folks who are listening, how conflicted I have been with going the political route. But as I have said in this podcast, I'm going to read it again, this quote. We who can speak must speak while we have the gift. We must love while we still live. And we must act while we still have strength. And there are lots of people out there who do not have the political mindset. I'm going to bring this up right now. Zach, for instance. Been on the podcast. You've heard him. We love him. Zach's a brother to me. Sorry, brother. We haven't, uh, we haven't been able to integrate the way that we talk about integrating. But uh, much love. He posted something that was... Did I take a screenshot of it? I'm going to check and see if I screenshot it real quick. I didn't screenshot it. But essentially was, you know, speaking out against people like me. He wants his voice heard. And to him, it's about being human. And it's not about making things political. And there were things in what he posted, because this was a repost. It was a meme that said a lot of things. But the bottom, it said, this isn't about politics. This is about being human. But the issue becomes, what are you humans going to do next? It's going to get political. And I have the political mindset that other people do not have. I do not like it. I do not like having it at all. I wish that I could live as a free and beautiful human being without thinking about politics at all. That is why I consider myself an anarchist, because it is the absence of politics. But since I am a subject of political matters, I don't have a choice. And since I don't have a choice, you better damn well believe and know that I am doing my best to understand the system of politics so I can make change. So people can be more human. And that's what I'm fighting for. But I will not use violence to achieve my goals. Uh, I'll just jam that one out. And destruction is violence. We'll get to that deep part now. So, part of the action plan is, you know, as someone who is very outspoken and against the state, what would I want if I was in that situation? And I do, people are going to, I mean, people might hear this, I don't know, people, people. It's my rule. That's the law. People, people. Jason's law. Good vibes drive out the bad vibes. Good vibes drive out the bad vibes. 
bad money drives out good money. People gonna people. Those are some those are some of the things I think. But if I were to be in a police confrontation, you can actually watch a video of one at the Woodbury Skate Park. It's on my YouTube. Uh and I had thoughts of that, you know, in my head recently. I had completely forgotten about it until this happened, and I was like that was the closest I got, the most fearful I had been being around a cop. And I shared that with someone who was in pain and they didn't respond at all. They just wanted to have someone feel their pain. And I tried to relate, you know, on a different matter and deaf ears because their window, their velocity of pain wasn't the same as mine. Like I said, I I know the injustices. One of the things that turned me on to everything that I do is I studied the Martin Luther King assassination. I know that the family, the King family, in civil court found that the United States government was responsible for the murder of Martin Luther King. Something that they will not teach you in public schools. I was not taught that at least. And when I first started sharing that with people, they were like, wow, I had no idea. I've studied the assassination of Malcolm X. And through these studies, I've heard their messages. Can't remember them all. I don't always go back to thinkers. You know, I don't, I'm not necessarily allies in some of the things that they said. I'm allies with some of the things they did said, did say. And that's okay. You don't have to be allies with everyone on everything they say. There's differences. That's why I prefer economics to politics, because in economics, the differences just mean, hey, you don't get my business. In politics, the differences can equal violence or a voice not being heard at all. So let's say... Let's throw out this thought experiment for you to think about. How come you cannot subscribe to the Democratic platform, your neighbor can subscribe to the Republican platform, and how come the neighbor down the street can't be a Green Party member? Why can't all these things operate all at once? Why can you not sign up to be a Democrat and live as a Democrat? Why can you not sign up to be a Republican and live as a Republican? Why can you not sign up as a libertarian, as live as a libertarian. Why can you? Why can't you sign up to be part of the Green Party and live those principles? The Constitution Party, the Transhumanist Party, the what's some other parties? The Socialist Party, the Communist Party. <laughs> I don't want to talk about some of the other ones. But yeah, I mean, what's stopping people? And it's that control. Got to control everything. If you don't have total control, you have no control. And unfortunately, Democrats and Republicans are the same on a lot of issues that I am completely against. One being how everything is paid for. They both will support that lovely, lovely Federal Reserve Bank and support 
those endless wars, whether they be abroad or at home. And I usually focus on the wars abroad because those are the ones, those are the voices that you do not hear. And as a guilty citizen of the United States of America, I feel so much guilt for those voices that I know many of my fellow citizens, <laughs> citizens uh, in name only here. The only protest I ever did was after Trump, I shouldn't say the only, the only protest that would meet the requirements of a protest when you think of a protest in your mind would be when I protested Donald Trump when he dropped his first big bomb in Afghanistan, pretty sure it was Afghanistan, to fight either ISIS or Al-Qaeda. I'm pretty sure it was ISIS. Yeah, drop bombs to fight ISIS. And I was like, God damn it. I did not think that there was going to be international war this quick with Trump. So I protested that out in front of Amy Klobuchar's office with some allies at that time. And it was a bunch of Bernie folks. Those were the only other folks out there. I was the only libertarian, and there was maybe like six Bernie supporters, and it was fine. You know, we talked, hung out. It was great. And then I started, I actually became a member of one of their Facebook groups, but then I started to see their ideas, how they carried them out, what they wanted to do. I was like, I can't get behind this. So, you know, I tried making some allies. I did my thing, protested in the way that other people protest, but I do protesting my own way. I withdraw my consent. I withdraw my consent from this government of the United States, and I hope you do too. But, you know, no one cares if you withdraw your consent. The only thing that matters is if you withdraw your money support. That is the thing that keeps the system going. How should we wrap this up? I don't know. Let's see what else I wrote. Empathy. Empathy is feeling what other people feel. And I am an empath. I feel it. It sucks. I am not good at processing both my emotions and other people's emotions. So I've kind of learned to navigate that. And I think a lot of empaths do have a hard time processing other people's emotions because one, they don't know they're empaths. They don't know what's happening. They're just like, oh, I'm sad now. And two, they don't have the language of the feelings. And one of the tools that I've been using to learn the language of feelings is nonviolent communication and the tarot. And the tarot, again, just very interesting because it gives you the major arcana, the minor arcana, they all represent different things, and then there's the dichotomy, there's the, 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 there's the light and the dark, there's the, the positive and the negative of that feeling. been an interesting study 
So for the empaths out there who might be having a hard time processing, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to feel, that's one tool I use to help kind of, you know, figure out what my feelings were. And I go in and out of it. Lots of things in life, you go in and out. What you're subjected to is what you stay in. Okay, what else should we go on? Law enforcement, you don't have to enforce unjust laws. Military, you don't have to obey orders that go against your oaths. Judges, you don't have to prosecute victimless crimes. And please, 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 God, please. Odin, please. Flying Spaghetti Monster, please. Tiona Nakato, please. Jesus, please. All the gods, please. No Space Force. Been seeing so many ads for Space Force for military branches, and I might have to boycott the UFC now. That's how you withdraw your consent. I love the UFC. I like MMA. There's so many things I like about it. But Jason, you're against violence. Against non-consent. These are consenting people willing to put their lives on the line. I respect the hell out of that. That those individuals walk into that cage and they don't know if they're coming out. Same way I feel about the skate park. I'm not, you know, that crazy and gnarly, but you never know. And that fighter mentality is something that I, I do respect, you know. I'm a fighter. You might not see it, but I do not live in society the way that normal people do because I'm trying to fight in ways that other people aren't willing to fight. I am withdrawing my consent from the medical establishment. I am withdrawing my consent from... What's another one? From the educational... From, from academia. Uh... I wish I was withdrawing my, cent from, withdrawing my consent from the dollar. At one point, I was out of debt. I had assets not in dollars, but unfortunately, that's not the case right now because I withdrew my cent from the medical system. I don't have insurance. I don't want to support that system because I see lots of issues with it and fundamental issues that I do not want to support. I believe that there's things that are very inhumane about these systems, so I do not want to support them. There's some systems that's just like, fuck, there's no other option because the state has monopoly on it, like the roads. Uh, withdraw your consent from things that you do not consent to in ways that you feel like you are capable of, if you can your life and do what you got to do but i have withdrawn my consent from systems that i believe to be unethical to the detriment of my prosperity and being able to fit in with other people and it's tough and it's something that people don't see and they won't ever understand but the people who do respect the fuck they respect the hell out of me Because it is tough. And I even saw one of my idols 
Larkin Rose, who stood up to one of the biggest bullies of all, the IRS. I saw him struggling with whether or not he could take that $1,200 as an anarchist, and he said he couldn't do it. He said he had been battling it in his head, too. And I hope I hope he can he can stay strong because I have not been able to be strong in my displeasure of the dollar. I have re I have found myself in its grasp again. And it sucks that I have to think about withdrawing my extent my consent to the extent of leaving everyone that I've ever known before and going someplace new and I don't want to have to do that but I'm willing to, and it tears me apart, because I don't know if the fighting is going to get anywhere based on what I have observed, and again, I started this podcast to hopefully become better at communicating the message of non-aggression, and hopefully that does something. Okay, that was, that was, uh, we still haven't even gotten to the one thing I wanted to get to. Okay, back to Action Networks. What happens if Jason were to have his life ended by an agent of the state? What would I want? You know, I doubt George Floyd or many of these other folks who have died at the hands of law enforcement, who have died at the hands of the military, died at the end of a barrel of the state. Uh, I doubt many of them were able to get a message out about what to do, what they would want, how, how they would want justice carried out. And again, to me, justice means making something whole again. If you were to lose me, how would how would you fill that hole? I don't think prosecuting another human life is going to that's not justice for me. I don't want another human being going in to the death grips of the state even it being someone who is a part of the state. I don't want violence. I don't want violence against any actor unless it was explicit that they were opposed to everything I'm about. If the person were to completely dehumanize me pre, during, and post, you know, I say, say, go for whatever you got to do, whatever you think is just, but I don't think people are like that. I do not. Justice to me would be, for example, the officer losing their pension, losing any money, forfeiting probably all of their, uh, yeah, I would say justice, I think, would be forfeiting any money that they've ever made off of the state to those who feel like my life was taken too soon or give it back to the people it was taken from originally. 
and he one who stood by and didn't do anything lose all the money no more monies you know that money's got to go back to the folks in the community who feel like they have been affected by the loss of my life if that were to happen remember we're talking theoreticals wouldn't want any private property destroyed public property fuck that shit up on your skateboards and snowboards that's that's my call to action for public property and i don't want it burned you know maybe if some of you could use that stuff to form your own protection services and the state was willing to agree to that arrangement i would say that's uh that's an agreeable arrangement you know you don't have to burn down the precinct just uh you all leave and the community replaces you with people of their own choosing uh yeah fuck up public property on your skateboards and snowboards i say that's fair game i say do it now do it while you still can channel all of your energy all of your anger into fucking up some public property on your skateboards filming it and putting out the best footage you can with your message about what to do with all this your definitions of justice uh and I'm, so this is me intertwining you know george obviously with myself i'm gonna once i get back i mean that's been my goal once once i had that 1200 in my account that's when i was like all right shit's fucking on i'm gonna fuck up some street spots uh but my body's just not there yet. I'm recovering from two injuries already this year. The ribs. The ribs were the ribs. And now I have some lower back issues. And it's just, I'm not strong enough. I've known I'm not strong enough to be doing a lot of the stuff I want. I'm not putting in the work. I want to work out. I want to eat better. I want to breathe. I am the path. I am going to be great. I am going to be me. I'm going to be a pro. Anarchy, love, peace, and agora. Oh, and I think I'm done after that little little thing. I think we're done with this podcast. I should have ended on anarchy, love, peace, and agora. Thanks for listening, folks. Be safe out there. Do you. Don't, don't be violent. And if you're interested, keep listening, because I'm going to keep talking. I have a challenge for everyone who's having a hard time processing their emotions during all this, and that's the journal challenge. For June, journal. My goal is 15 journal entries. We'll see if we get there. And I also want to say that I am going to be Speaking about mental health until this election cycle is over, I'm going to be wearing my helmet in public as much as I can. I'd like to say all the time. It might not be all the time, but I want to show that mental health is an issue. I wear... Part of my identity is my mental health, unfortunately. And it's something people can't see. And 
We're talking identity, identity politics in this podcast. And I think that politics is a big factor in mental health. That's why I'm choosing this window. But also I want my message to be that you can fix your brain. There are things you can do to get better. And I haven't given up yet. And if I have my helmet on, I haven't given up. It means I'm going to keep going hard. I plan on going hard still. Because if I wasn't going hard, I'd be playing it safe. And when you're playing it safe, you don't need a helmet.